Last week I started a sermon, uh, uh, well I preached a sermon that became a catalyst in my heart for a series that I want us to look at. And I say this often, but I love when God preaches a sermon before I preach it. It makes my job a lot easier. So when we've already experienced God, we've already heard from God, we've already, we've already uh, sung to God, we've already prayed. I mean, we could go home now and be complete. I just get to be the icing on the cake today. And that's good. That's good for me. It lifts all the pressure. Uh, but anyway, uh, last week we, we were talking about our story and, and knowing what our story is and being able to share our stories because there's power in our story. And I was using Moses as an example of that. And if you'll recall with me the story I told about Moses, where Moses is up on Mount Sinai. It's the second time he's been there because the first time things went haywire and people were rebelling while he was up there with God getting the covenant. The second time Moses is up there with God. And Moses says to God, you know, the people probably won't follow me. How are they going to follow me? And God says, what do you need? And Moses says, just show me your glory. And we went to that position, we read the scripture where Moses is on the mountain and God says to him, you've got to hide yourself in the rock and I'm going to pass by you and you can just see the train of my garment. And I don't know about you, maybe I'm just too simple, but oftentimes when I've read this story, I've missed what God said and I've focused on what God did. And so when someone talks to me about the glory of God, I get this picture in my mind of this radiant light. And that's the glory of God, like this this brilliant light or whatever that Moses was able to see. Something about his aura or presence is is what caused, remember, Moses comes down, his face is transformed, he puts the veil on. We talked about that last week. But but I've oftentimes limited, I think, the glory of God to the, the presence or what Moses saw. And I haven't paid attention to what God said. And there's a reason that when God told Moses to put his face in the, in the cliff and not look at him and, and passed by, God does something before Moses can even see the train of his garment. God is revealing his glory. Before Moses ever opens his eyes or turns his head, God has already begun revealing his glory. And so today and, and over the next few weeks, I want to take some time not to look just at this idea of the, the, the aura or presence of God, but look at what God said to Moses, because I believe when he was speaking, he was revealing his glory. I believe that what God said is important for us to, to comprehend, because I want to be like Moses. I want to be transformed by the glory of God. I want to experience His glory and be transformed. And I think we have to look at the words in order for us to be transformed. We want the moment. We want the shock and all. But we need to listen to His voice. And so over the next few weeks, I want to look at what God declared. And maybe, just maybe recognize that God's glory is found in how he introduces himself. I mean, why did he have to introduce himself to Moses? Moses knew he was. He's been talking on a mountain. But as God goes by, he begins to introduce himself. We'll look at that. Uh, we'll be in Exodus 36, verses uh, 6 through 7. My clicker isn't working. And I'm going to pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word and the opportunity to look at it. God, I pray that 
over this week and the next few weeks, we experience your glory. God, a glory that transforms. A glory that as we begin to comprehend it, changes us, changes our countenance, changes the way people see us. Help us, Lord, to be in line with you this day. God, I pray our hearts would be aligned with you. I ask God that we would allow ourselves to experience your goodness and love. I pray for, for us to be inclined to you. And for myself as a pastor that your words would come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. So Exodus chapter 34. It's, there we go. Uh, verse 6. This is the moment that I want to focus on the words that God is speaking. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming. What does he say? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And that last line is going to be a little bit hard when it comes to the glory of God. We're going to get to that. That's a couple weeks down the road. But, but the reality is God is announcing himself. To Moses. And I think that Moses has to hear this to fully experience the glory of God. I believe that we as a body have to hear this to fully experience the glory of God. For us to comprehend his glory, which at times I think is uncomprehensible. We try to explain it. We can't explain it. We need to understand what God is saying. So he starts. What is the first thing he says? The Lord, the Lord. The Lord, the Lord. What does that mean? What is he trying to say? And I'll be honest, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this point. My wife told me I could because people don't remember my sermons as much as I think they do. I preached on something similar to this at Easter time, so, so I figured I won't belabor this point, but I will illuminate this point. So the point is that God is speaking. Now, he's speaking to Moses. Now, if you recall, Moses was called to, to lead God's people where? Where was he when God called him to lead the people? He was in a burning bush, right? There was a bush that was burning that wasn't burning. And God began to speak to him from that bush. And he said, you're going to lead my people. And, and Moses is, is questioning how in the world is that going to happen. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, this is the second time Moses is questioning. Well, this is the first time. Mountain is, is another time where Moses is questioning his leadership. And what God reiterates both times, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Lord, the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh is what God said to Moses for his name. You're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So think of this moment with Moses when he's experiencing the glory of God. He has to be going back to the burning bush when he hears God declaring, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord. Moses is remembering that he is the God. What does Yahweh truly mean? Yahweh means I am who I am. God is. He's the ever-present God. This is the way God is referred to in Genesis chapter 2 in the creation story. God refers to himself as in, the, in, in chapter 1, it's Elohim. In chapter 2, it's Elohim Yahweh or Yahweh Elohim. The personal, relational God of the Israelites. The one true God. For you to understand or comprehend the glory of God, 
It has to begin with God is. Our God is. He's distinguishing himself. It distinguishes him from all other gods. The use of the word Yahweh is the God of the Israelites. It's the one true God. The God who is, who was, and always will be. He is God. He's the God that is present. He's the God that is real. He's the God that is with us. He's the God that speaks to us today in this service. How do we know that God speaks to us? Well, we know because God is. How do we know that God heals us? We know because God is. How do we know that God forgives us? We know because God is. It has to start with the reality that God is. And it's not just a God with a lowercase g, but this is the one true God. God is. At Easter time, we talked about Jesus and how he upset some people because he declared, I am. You know, when he declared that, it was a, it was a recognition with the people that he was declaring himself to be like God. I don't need to read all these verses, but the priest tore their clothes. They asked why we need any more witnesses. They, they beat and spit on Jesus because he made this crazy declaration of, I am. There's power in understanding that God is. He is who he is. Yahweh, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord. Boy, so much could be resolved in our hearts if we just comprehended that fact. That we don't have to explain God's actions. That we don't have to explain away or, or, or come up with a solution. God is who he is. And that's okay. God is who he is. And that's where my heart needs to be resolved. With Moses, he's saying, hey, remember the burning bush, the one that that called you to lead all this? Remember, I'm still him. And I still got a plan. And I'm still working. And I'm still moving. For you to understand my glory, you've got to understand that I am who I am. That I am who I said I was. I'm going to reiterate to you. I'm the God who is with you. I'm the God who is with the Israelites. I'm the one who will take them where they need to go. Just trust that the one that spoke to you at that bush is the one who is speaking to you today. Sometimes we need to resolve in our heart that God is Yes, I am. God, God's glory is revealed in that fact. He continues in those verses and he says, not only I am who I am, but he says, I'm the compassionate and gracious God. I want to press into those words today. I want to look at those words. If you've got a Bible and you look at Exodus chapter 34, you're going to see three different words in those verses. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, I was intent as I began my study on separating the compassion and grace of God. Because I thought I was going to talk about, because other translations will say mercy rather than compassion. So the mercy and grace of God. And I was like, well, I got to separate these two. I got to teach about mercy for a while and I got to teach about grace for a while. I got to teach about compassion for a while and I got to teach about the goodness of God for a while, the graciousness of God. And God paused me at one point and he said, do you see the comma? Now, I recognize that when this was written, it wasn't written in English. It didn't have these pretty commas and periods in it. 
But whoever interpreted this from the original Hebrew decided that these two thoughts, because look, there's lots of commas there, right? But where does the first comma come? It comes after the compassionate and gracious God. There is something about these two things needing to be looked at together. Oftentimes we're good at putting things in their little box and separating one from the other. But God is revealing himself, who he is. I'm the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And the cool thing is, this is the way God is introduced many times in Scripture. Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarsus. This is the moment where Jonah is seeing the people uh, repent, and he's disappointed that they're not getting firebombs falling on their heads. I mean, really, is Moses' heart in this moment? And he's saying, God, uh, isn't this what I told you would happen? I knew you're a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents, sending calamity. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 9. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites, your children, will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Psalm chapter 86. It's in Psalm chapter 111. It's in Psalm chapter 112. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. I think it's in Psalm 145 as well. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Isn't it intriguing that, that all these people, whether it was Jonah, whether it was Joel, whether it was in Second Chronicles, whether it's in Psalms, they describe God. They got to know God. And when they describe God, he's referred to as the gracious and compassionate God. The merciful and gracious God. He's the God of mercy and he's the God of grace. Now, this is in the Old Testament, guys. So what are they communicating? What are we to understand about God? What does God need us, those who are following him, his children, the ones that he said this morning he calls his very own, what does he desire for us to know about him? Why is he declaring, now if I came in, And I said, I'm the pastor, the pastor, the gracious and compassionate pastor. I'm probably doing that with the wrong motive, right? But God, when he spoke this, he was speaking it so we would begin to press in to the grace and compassion, the mercy and the goodness of God. He desires that, that, he, that we would understand what he's saying. Now, I will give you a quick, if you want to differentiate grace from mercy, because I believe they're both revelations of God. So here you go if you're taking notes. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. That's the easiest way I can describe grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. I'll say that again because I know some people need to hear it twice. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. 
And God reveals his grace and mercy. Think about the moment that God is speaking this. What did the Israelites just do? Now they repented and changed, but what came before that? That was this whole part of their story they don't like being told the pastors like to tell. The moment they took all their earrings and all their jewelry, threw it in a fire, and out came a calf, and they started worshiping it. They started worshiping a false idol while God was on the mountain. His people who he delivered, the ones he'd given manna and quail, the ones he'd been bringing through the wilderness, the ones who he parted the Red Sea for, set them free from Egypt, they started to worship another God. And God, when he's, he's announcing himself to Moses, says, you need to understand the grace and mercy of God. The grace and mercy of God. For you to understand my glory, for you to get my glory, you need to understand the God who gives people what they don't deserve and the God who gives people what or, or freedom from what they do deserve. That's who I am. I'm telling you, when you resonate, I'll say marinate, when you, when you think about the grace and mercy of God, the God who doesn't give you what you do deserve, and the God who gives you what you do not deserve, it transforms you. It changes you. Because you're reflecting on the glory of God. We can see this actually in Scripture. I want to read one more place where this occurs. This is in Nehemiah chapter 9, and then I'll tell the story, the backstory for it. But their answers became arrogant and stiff-necked. They didn't obey your commands. They refused to listen. They failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, remember, King Cyrus has allowed them to rebuild the temple. And Nehemiah is serving another king, and he says, can I go build walls around Jerusalem? Now, Nehemiah is probably one of the, the latest or most recent historical books of the Old Testament. I know it occurs a little bit newer or a little bit early in the Old Testament, but it's about as late of history as we have in the Old Testament. Nehemiah, Ezra, Malachi, they all kind of overlap each other. And it's a historical book because it's pretty compelling because this is after Israel has done all Israel does. Like the ups and downs of Israel, the splits, the kingdom splitting, the times that they've served other gods, the times that they've turned their back on God and repented and God's relented, the times that they've done all these things. And, and, and at this point, the exiles are coming back together. People who have been in captivity are coming back to Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt and Nehemiah is able to build the walls around uh, uh, the temple. So it's a secure place for the Jews to finally have church again. They can come back to church. It's like everybody was after COVID when we were gone for a month or two, but they've been gone for hundreds of years, and, and now they can come back to the temple. And Ezra is, is the priest, and he begins to find this book of law. What did God give Moses on Mount Sinai? It was the book of the covenant. It was all of his covenant. And Ezra begins to rediscover this book. And he starts to read the book. And people, and this is in Nehemiah 7, 8, somewhere in there, are just like 
in awe of the glory of God being revealed through the covenant. And they're, they're like being transformed and they're saying, man, we need to do the festivals. There was a festival of tents. Everybody's putting up tents because we've never done this before and it's in the law and we want to see what God has for us. They're being changed by the law of God. I mean, everything is right. Everything is coming back together. They're recognizing the glory of God that was revealed through his covenant to man. And then Nehemiah chapter 9, they begin to talk about the grace and compassion of God. The ones who are talking in, in this version are the Levites. It was several of them. And I don't know how this worked, but they all began to talk. And, and Nehemiah chapter 9 shows us what they said. And what they say basically recounts the history of, of the one true God. It starts in creation. It goes through Abraham. It talks about Moses. It talks about all that God has done. And as you read their words, as you look at the words, and I'm going to read quite a bit of this just because I can, and I've got your attention now. Um, anyway, uh, this is what they're saying. And as I read this, my desire is that you begin to recognize God's grace and mercy. Because this whole story, if you want to look at it later, you can get your highlighters out, get a pink one and a yellow one, and highlight which one's grace and which one's mercy if you need to. But the reality is this chapter is filled with the grace and mercy of God. The moments where the people of God got what they didn't deserve and the moments where God spared them from what they did deserve. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them even when they cast for themselves an image out of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. When they committed awful blasphemies because of your great compassion, you can put the word mercy in right there. Because of your great compassion, you didn't abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night shine uh, to shine on the way they were to take. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. That's grace. You didn't withhold your manna from their mouths. That's grace. And you gave them water for your thirst. That's grace. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. Verse 26 says, but they were disobedient. They rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies, so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. This is the mercy of God. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers. You rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they did. They again did what was evil in your sight. You abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, and you heard from heaven, and in your mercy you delivered them time after time. Talk about the gracious and compassionate God. They've got a lot of history to look at. They've got a lot of facts to look at. They can look back and see all these moments where the grace and goodness of God have been illuminated. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but because they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands, they sinned against your ordinances, of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you. They became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were very patient with them. 
I hope this is resonating with someone in this room. But your spirit warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hand of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy or compassion, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you're a gracious and merciful God. Check out Nehemiah chapter 9. If you want to start to wrap your head around the grace and mercy of God. You see, when these people stopped and looked back, you see, they were enlightened by the law of God. They were beginning to experience His glory, a glory that they hadn't experienced in captivity, a glory that they hadn't known because the temple wasn't there. Suddenly, they began to see the glory of God revealed. They began to see His grace and mercy revealed. I think we all need a Nehemiah chapter 9. I think we all need a moment where because of the goodness of God, the glory of God, we can recognize His grace and mercy in our lives. That we all need to understand that God's grace and mercy have been revealed. John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. He made His dwelling among us and we have seen His glory. I love this verse with Moses. The glory of God is revealed through Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, that's the glory of God, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You should have a Nehemiah chapter 9. If you've experienced God's love, if you've recognized what Jesus Christ has done, the glory of God has been revealed in your life. And you should have a Nehemiah chapter 9, a moment where you can look back and see where God gave you what you did not deserve, where God provided for you. Tam was just talking. She said a lot, so I've got to go to the one thing she said about what God did for us when we moved. That's the grace of God in our lives. That's the grace of God in, in taking care of us. That's the goodness of God that he provided a place for us to go. She would keep track of our finances when we moved here. She stopped doing that. Not because it was, it was too hard to keep track of, but because the numbers never worked out. And God always gave us more than we had. And so she said, this spreadsheet doesn't work anymore. I, I don't know how to explain it. And I'm telling you what, this girl can squeeze a nickel to get two dimes. And, and, and she can watch her money and everything else. But I'm telling you, the goodness of God was that she couldn't comprehend. His grace was beyond our comprehension. It didn't make sense. Jesus is the glory of God revealed. Where have you begun to experience his glory. We read this verse last week. I want to come back to this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, and we, so that's all the ones who understand God's goodness. That's the ones who have accepted Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced His grace or compassion, today is a day for you that God wants you to experience that. I'll just say that today. Today is a day where you can recognize His grace and mercy even in the moments where you didn't know Him. We who with unveiled faces, we do what? Contemplate. 
the Lord's glory. Now, I looked in other translations. Other translations say they behold His glory. They say they observe His glory. Some say reflect as a mirror His glory. I believe that God is instructing us to contemplate His glory. And we who with unveiled places, faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Nehemiah chapter 9 is contemplating the Lord's glory. It's not just looking for the shiny thing. It's not just looking for the, the aura that appeared. It's looking for the glory of God that's been revealed in your life through His grace and mercy. What has God done for you? How have you seen His grace? How have you seen Him provide for you what you do not deserve? What about His mercy? He says, while we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. What about the time we kept failing over? And over and over again. We look at Israel and we laugh, but our life looks a lot like it because we say we're going to repent and then we fall back into that same rut every time. But the grace of God is that He is just and He is faithful to forgive. Even to a thousand generations that every time I cry out. It's amazing to me. Why didn't God just say, I'm starting over. Let's get a new people. Israel done screwed up enough. God didn't go there. God didn't show that. What God did was He said, My grace is enough. Even in the Old Testament, God was graceful enough that every time He was merciful enough that every time they repented, He was compassionate enough that every time they repented, what did He do? He opened His arms. And He loved them. Tim, you can come up here. Kathy, you pointed out something. I want to illuminate what you said. The songs that Tan sang this morning, they were all about how faithful God has been and how good God has been. God spoke to us that He's a faithful God that, that, that has things that He wants to do in our lives. God this morning, as a pastor, was leading me to cause you to come to Nehemiah chapter 9. His glory is revealed, and He desires that you recognize all that He has done. All my life, you have been good to me. All my life, you have been so, so good. God, you've been good to me. You've given me time and time again the things that I don't deserve. I don't feel worthy for what you've placed in my life. Do you know who I am that you've called me to be a pastor? Do you know who I am that you've called me to be a father? I don't deserve it. To meet my every need. To bless me more than I can comprehend. To be able to give my parents stakes when they come see me. All my life, you've been good to me. 
Man, there were the times I screwed up. Times I should have been disqualified from being a pastor. Times that I wasn't worthy to be called a child of God. Times where I didn't do what what He wanted me to do. Times where I let Him down. Times where I didn't say. Times where I didn't do. Those times where I was disobedient. Those times where I was rebellious. Those times where I I had lords that were other than Him in my life. Where I was more driven by, by things or more driven by thoughts than I was about the King of Kings and Lords of Lords. Yet, in His goodness, in His mercy, He saw fit to continue to use me. He didn't disqualify me from His kingdom, but He said no because of your heart. Now, I had to Remember that when we see his mercy, it always follows repentance. Repentance means I had to acknowledge what I was doing was wrong. We'll get to that because God is just. That's part of the glory of God is that he is just. But the goodness, the grace, and mercy of God. This morning as we conclude, I'm going to ask Tam to sing a song. And my heart for you in this moment is to reflect on God's glory. Just contemplate. Observe. Behold. Look as in a mirror at those times that His grace and mercy have been revealed. Because we're being transformed. When we experience the glory of God, He is transforming your life. When you contemplate His glory, it's changing something in you. You know what? When I started talking about God's grace and mercy, I saw smiles on faces. And I saw tears in eyes. Because the glory of God transforms us. The grace of God compels us. The mercy of God transforms us. Because that's His glory revealed. God, I pray that this morning, Nehemiah chapter 9 happens in this place. I pray that this morning, Exodus chapter 34 happens in this place. That as we contemplate, as we observe, as we reflect as a mirror what you've done, the goodness, the glory, the God who is, who was, and always will be, is gracious and compassionate in my life. Revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ, we are transformed. Nehemiah was written, I think, about 440 B.C. We're still reading the story today. I encourage you, talked about our story last week. Your story is profound. Your story is powerful. 2,500 years later, the story is still transforming. And there may be someone in your life that needs your story. Take a moment to write it down. Take a moment 
to put it on paper so that some kid, that some grandkid, that some niece or nephew, that some friend of a friend of a friend of a friend may look at one day and say, wow, this is who you were. This is who your mom was. This is who your grandfather was. This is who they were. powerful it changes others the Lord bless you and keep you listen to this may his face shine upon you that's the glory of God may he turn to you may he be gracious to you I'll show you his face pastor. I've been speaking that over this church for about 12 years. I pray you experience the glory of God. Because I know that His glory transforms. May you be transformed by His grace and compassion. Amen. Be blessed.